Welcome again, whether you're joining us online or in person. I'm Mike, one of the pastors here. Uh, just by way of clarification, uh, we are next weekend, we're going to be live streaming both services. The Zoom lobby will only happen, though, in between them. So if you go to get in the Zoom lobby after second service, you're going to be a very lonely individual, all right? This can perpetuate the isolation. So uh, make sure you show up for the Zoom lobby in between the two services. So uh, we are uh, in the midst of a series, though, uh, that we have entitled Walk This Way. And what we're doing in this series is we're um, looking at backpacking and the gear that you find uh, that you take with you on a trail. And we're kind of using that as a, a springboard to illustrate uh, the gear or the spiritual practices that you would take with you on a walk with God. And each week, we're, we're just going, hey, here's, here's a different piece of gear and here's a spiritual practice that this ties to or that, uh, uh, you know, that this... Um, a spiritual practice that this piece of gear illustrates. And we're just going, hey, how, how can we use this spiritual practice? How can we engage in this thing in such a way that it will help us seek after God and uh, come to know him better relationally and as a result of that knowledge, come to love him and obey him more and more? Because again, all these practices that we're talking about, they should all draw us closer into relationship with God. So each week we're looking at a different practice. We're just using a different piece of trail gear to, to illustrate that and going, hey, how do we connect with God relationally in the midst of all of this? Because ultimately, a relationship with God is something that will um, increase knowledge, increase love, and then obedience is a natural outflow of knowledge and love as opposed to obedience being something that's driven by obligation or fear or shame. So let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll dive into things for this weekend. Father, just today, um, we just want to ask for your help as uh, just a number of our families are struggling. Father, we want to pray for the Cooper family as they have Dan's dad, Joe, uh, living with them right now, and he is hospice care. Father, we pray for your hand of mercy on his body, for his family as they are providing for him at the end of his life. Father, we want to pray for the Mika's family as well as Joe's mom, Lee, is hospice care too. And they're trying to love and care from her, for her from a distance. Father, please meet them in this time. Please help them as um, they're going to transition into a time of mourning. Father, we just pray for our nation right now, just with everything going on with the politics and uh, post-presidential election and the conflict and the drama that's taking place all over. Father, we pray for peace and for some kind of level of maturity that stretches all the way from regular people on the streets to the individuals who are supposed to represent our nation. Father, we just pray for wisdom for our leaders um, as we just try and navigate things with COVID and spikes in the numbers and try and think through how do you hold in detention safety and yet people's need for connection and the ability to uh, work and be educated. Please just help us as we uh, continue in our series today. 
I pray that your spirit would speak to ours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, today, rather than, than point you to a specific piece of trail gear, today we're going to talk about a trail philosophy. And it's a philosophy that my wife and I adopted early on when we started backpacking. And the philosophy is simply this. You're your own man. Doesn't that sound fun? Let's say that together. You ready? You're your own man. Now, you're your own man. This, this comes from a, a piece of Rice family uh, vernacular that I wish I had the time to explain the etymology of to you. We don't. So let me just tell you what this means, right? You're your own man captures this idea that on the trail, you are an agent of free will. You are responsible for yourself and your pack. You can put anything into your pack you want to, but you're your own man. That means you're going to carry that thing, right? And so... This philosophy has served us really well over the years, you know, and so when, like when I'm packing my pack, she is not looking over my shoulder telling me what I can and cannot put in there. I'm my own man. I can take anything I want. When she's packing her pack, I don't care what she puts in there. She's her own man. As long as she carries it, we're good, right? And, and inevitably, when we take people backpacking with us for the first time, something we love to do, they will always say to us, can I bring this? Can I take that? And our answer is always the same. You're your own man. You can take anything you want as long as you carry it. Right? It's, just, it's, it's, it's one of our, our trail philosophies. It's served us well over the years. Now, again, my, my wife and I, at the end of August, we backpacked our royal with her sister Sarah and her sister's husband Jeremy. And we went on the trail with this piece of philosophy in mind. And, and we thought, okay, this has served us well over the years. We're going to be fine. Even though we knew going into that trip, my wife was having some issues with her knees. We knew we were going to be in line, you know, longer mileage on our royal. We knew that the terrain was rougher. But we thought, we're, we're going to get through this. We're going to be fine. Well, we're two days into that trip. And it became apparent, we've got a problem. Just, my wife's pack, the weight she had in it, her knees, this was not working. It was just too much weight for her knees if she's going to keep up with the rest of the group. And so we had to make a decision at that point, Jeremy and Sarah and myself, what are we going to do here with Laura? Are we going to say to her, hey, look, you're your own man. You packed it. You're responsible for it. If you can't keep up, we'll see you in camp when you get there, right? Or are we going to abandon this philosophy and do something differently? Now, the solution that we came up with is, is one that points to the spiritual practice that we want to explore today. And we'll, we'll come back to the solution that we came up with a little bit later. But the, the, the practice that we're going to look at today, it ties into that solution. It's a practice that Jesus pointed his first followers to as he has an interaction with them that's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, uh, we find Jesus, and we find him talking with one of his disciples' mothers. We pick up in verse 20, and Matthew tells us this. He says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked him for a favor. So, so as we begin here, we find Mrs. Zebedee with two of Jesus' disciples, her sons, specifically James and John. And, and she's come to Jesus for what on the surface seems like her asking Jesus for a favor. So, so there's Mrs. Ebony. She's on her knees before Jesus. And Jesus engages her. 
Mrs. Zebedee, how are you? It's good to see you. Don't worry, I'm taking good care of your boys. What, what, what is it that I can do for you today? And with that, Mrs. Zebedee asked Jesus this. She says, grant that one of my sons, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. Now, whether we realize it or not, this is a crazy big request on Mrs. Zebedee's part. See, for centuries now, the Jewish people have been hoping for, praying for, waiting for the Messiah to show up. And in their mind, the, the Messiah is going to be a number of things. First of all, the Messiah is going to be this amazing military leader. He's like going to cast off you know, any, any Gentile oppressor that's been controlling the Jews. He's going to set Israel free. In fact, he's going to set Israel up as the dominant world power. Going to be an amazing military leader, but he's also going to be a religious leader. He's going to cause the Jewish people to just come back wholeheartedly, faithfully to their Jewish faith. He's almost like Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Pope all rolled up into one. This is the guy they've been looking for, hoping for, dreaming for, praying for. Now with Jesus, it starts with these rumblings. And, and then it develops into hope. And at this point in Matthew's biography, there's this just fever pitch of expectation that this Jesus guy, he's the Messiah. People are just waiting for him to stand up, declare himself publicly as such, throw off the chains of Rome, and, and usher Israel into the new and golden age. So when Mrs. Zebedee comes and says, hey, I want you to give one of my boys a place at your left and one of my boys a place at your right, she's saying, Jesus, when you take over the world, I want you to make my two sons your top two officials in your new kingdom. This would be like your mother getting on the phone and calling up Joe and saying, Joe, assuming you win all the court battles, right, because you weren't so naive as to think this was going to be over in early November, were you? Right? So she said, Joe, she calls Joe up. Joe, you've won all the court battles. You defeated the Donald. Listen, after your inauguration, what I want you to do is appoint one of my kids to be your Secretary of Defense and the other one of my kids to be your Secretary of State. That's the equivalent. This is a crazy big request on her part. Now, before you get too down on Mrs. Z for her audacious request, you need to understand, really, this request isn't from Mrs. Z. It's from somebody else, somebody's else. And you see that in the answer that Jesus gives next. Jesus says, he says, you, all right? Now, the you here is plural. And it's a funny thing. In English, you determine whether or not you is singular or plural by the context. In Greek, you know if you is singular or plural by the way that it is spelled. So we know for sure in the original language that this is the plural you. So if we were to translate this into southern, Jesus would be saying y'all, or all y'all, all, all y'all don't know what all y'all are asking. Jesus said to who? To them. To them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? See, Jesus, he skips right over Mrs. Z, 
And he answers James and John. Because he knows ultimately this question isn't coming from her. It's coming from her sons. Maybe she's okay if, you know, if Jesus gives them these things. Maybe she'd like this for her boys. You know, what, what, what mother didn't think her kids weren't great? But, but ultimately, this is, this is James and John putting their mom up to this. They think Jesus is the man. But they also think they've got a better chance of getting the answer they want from Jesus if they use their mother to manipulate that answer out of him. And they're not above doing that. This would almost be like somebody in the, you know, a teenager at, here at church who wants Pastor Eric to, to take a certain direction with the ministry, you know, the student ministry here. And so rather than just going to Pastor Eric and saying directly, hey, I, I'd really love it if we did this, what they, and I'm sure this has never happened here at Faith, right? What they do instead is they, they get their mom or their dad to put the screws to Eric to try and make him take things in a certain direction. That's what James and John are doing. And Jesus, he, he says to them, guys, you have no idea what you're asking for here. Guys, are you sure about this? Are you, are you really able to do what I'm about to go and do? Guys, there, there, there's no crown without a cross. This is how life works. Are, are you sure you're ready to drink the cup that I'm going to drink from? To which James and John confidently affirm, we can. Now, have you ever said something? And while you were saying it, you thought you knew what you were talking about. Only discover sometime later, you had no clue about the words you were speaking. Right? So like, I, was, I was 19 years old. Great time to say stupid things. Um, I was on staff for the summer at Bear Lake Bible Camp, right? And, and early on in the summer, I met this young married couple named Ralph and Judy. Really nice couple. Got to know them, really enjoyed getting to know them. And I remember sitting around the table with my other senior staffers early on in the summer and discovering over dinner that Ralph and Judy, not only are they married, but Judy's 20. She's a year older than I am. And when I heard that, I was like, that is insane. Who in the world gets married at 20? That is crazy. And then I went on to tell my fellow staffers that I would never get married that young. And then I, I ordered them. I'm like, look, if you hear that I am even engaged before I finish college, which I had three more years of, you are to take force of me, like physically get my head examined because I would never do something like that. And then five weeks later, I met this girl named Laura. <laughs> and two summers later, I was not engaged. I was married. <laughs> I thought for sure I knew what I was talking about, but I didn't. Jesus, Jesus is about to be arrested and betrayed and, and, and unjustly accused and, and run through this court that's just a sham and he's going to be crucified for the sin of all humanity. And he says to James and John, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they're like, no problem, Jesus. Now, I love, I love Jesus' answer. Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Guys, <laughs> I am so glad to hear you're in with the mission. It just does my heart good to know you're willing to suffer for the cause. Now, those cabinet positions you've asked for, I, I can't help you with that. They're not for me to give out. But again, just so, it, it, I mean, it just warms my heart to know voluntarily you are willing to suffer right alongside with me. I wonder, years later, as James and John are being persecuted, as they are suffering, as they are sacrificing, as they are being martyred for the cause, how many times they thought back to this conversation with Jesus and thought to themselves, what in the world was I thinking when I opened my big mouth with Jesus that day? Now, as all of this is going down, Jesus' other disciples, they get wind of it. They, they hear about what James and John have just tried to pull. And they respond emotionally. Matthew tells us, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Ten get wind of what James and John tried to do, and they're not okay. Now, it's not that they're surprised. See, these kind of power moves, grabs among the disciples, these aren't rare. You can read through the biographies of Jesus' life, and you can find multiple times where the disciples are arguing with each other over who's number one. Who's the best disciple? Who is most likely to take over if something happens to Jesus? As crazy as it sounds, among Jesus' hand-picked followers, it was not uncommon to find people arguing about who's, who's going to be in charge. Who's in control here after Jesus? It was not unusual to find them looking out for themselves at the expense of the others. It was not... It was not an unusual thing to see selfishness working itself out among the disciples. It's not that they're surprised that the brothers have done this. They're just indignant that the brothers asked before they did. They're thinking, wait a minute, I had dibs on those two seats. If Jesus is going to give top spots to anybody, it's going to be me. What are those two thinking? Now, i got to give him credit, the mom thing. I mean, that was slick. Why didn't I think of that? You know? like, I, everybody knows I'm smarter than those two put together. I should have come up with that mom thing. The, the other two hear what James and John have done, and they become indignant. Tempers flare. Emotions go up. There's about to be trouble in Jesus' happy little community. And it's at this point that Jesus pumps the brakes and he calls for a huddle. Matthew tells us that Jesus, Jesus called them together. And he said to them, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Guys, you, you know the, 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 the rulers of the Gentiles, their leaders, these, these people who... You, you've decided they are void of any genuine sense of spirituality. They, they are these godless pagans. Now, let me give you one guess as to who you 12 are acting like right now. Them. You, you know these guys, that they just lord it over each other. 
that they try and use power to their advantage with one another. That they're looking out for themselves first. But not so with you. Not so with you. If you guys are going to follow me, it's going to work differently with you. If you're my disciple, you shouldn't be famous for looking out for number one. You shouldn't be known for getting your needs met at the expense of others. Selfishness should not dominate the community that you're part of. Maybe this is how it works with them, but not so with you. Not if you're following me. And then next, Jesus makes a statement meant to let his disciples then and now look deep into his heart and see who he was and what he was all about. He says, instead, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus is saying, let, let me point you to something different. And he points them, points them to the practice of service. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus is saying, look, you really want to do something great with your life? You really want to make a difference? You really want to have a life of significance here? Serve. Serve. Give yourself away. Meet the needs of others at your own expense. See, that's what a servant does. A servant is somebody who will meet the needs of others at their own expense and do so with no ulterior motives. When I serve, it's about you, not about me. When I serve, it's about blessing you simply for the sake of blessing you. Not what I'm going to get out of it, not for the response that I hope to to draw out of you. I'm just going to serve you. I'm just going to meet your needs at my expense and do so with no ulterior motives. Jesus says, you really want to be great. Be a servant. And then Jesus points to himself and he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, this is why I came. This is who I am. My heart is a servant's heart. My life is all about service. Jesus is telling his disciples, you can't be serious about following me and not be serious about serving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of the world, they do this differently. The rest of the world, it's, it's this, this race to who's going to be in charge and who's going to get themselves you know, taken care of and who's going to get to the front of the line first. Not so with you. You're different if you're following me. I'm a servant. 
If you're going to follow me, you're going to serve. There's this new and different practice that that you 12 need to hear about, that you 12 need to live into in a whole new kind of way. So, back to my wife. We're two days on the trail. Laura's pack is way too heavy for what her knees are going to tolerate, and she's struggling to keep up. And again, we've got to make a decision. Right? She, she packed it. She brought it. She's her own man. So, so you know, Sarah and, and, and Jeremy and myself, are we going to tell her, hey, look, you're your own man. Deal with it. You know, again, we'll see you in camp if and when you get there. Are we going to come up with a different philosophy? Now, her, her younger sister, Sarah, she voted for option number one. I don't know, something going back to when they were kids and unresolved conflict. Fortunately for my wife, Jeremy and I were able to outvote Sarah, right? So we, we, we got to come up with something better here. We chose to serve. We took things out of Laura's pack, things that she brought, things that she was responsible for, and we put them into our packs, and we carried them. On days when we had longer mileage, you know, Jeremy or myself, we, we'd go ahead, dump our stuff in camp towards the end, come back, get Laura's pack, and carry it in ourselves. In fact, we got one day, we got a picture of Jeremy here, I think, Maybe not. All right. So, you know, one day, long hike, getting towards the end, and Jeremy goes in, dumps his pack, comes back, and he double packs it. He's got his wife's pack on the front of him, my wife's pack on the back of him. Carries those all the way back into camp. What was an eight-mile day for the rest of us was a 12-mile day for Jeremy. See, what we did on that trip is that at the end of the, each day, we just went, okay, how are we going to make tomorrow work? And we traded in one philosophy for another. We, we traded in, you're your own man, for not so with you. We traded in, look out for yourself, take care of yourself, for serving others. Jesus says, hey, if you're my follower, this is what life should look like. Now, as we move towards wrapping this up, I want to think about this from both a um, just kind of a philosophical perspective and then a really practical perspective. And we'll start with the, the, the philosophical. The thing that we, we should be asking ourselves in light of what Jesus has said is, okay, Jesus, you're, you're saying we got to serve. You can't avoid that. I get that. But like, how does that, how, how does serving other people help me engage Jesus in relationship? How does serving other people help me get to know who Jesus is better relationally? How does that help me seek after him so I know him better relationally? And as a result of that knowledge, I come to love and obey him more and more. Because again, all the spiritual practice that we're talking about, they should be relational in nature. They should help me seek after God. They should help me get to know who he really is. So how does serving somebody else help me get to know Jesus better? I would argue the answer to that question is found in shared values and shared experiences. Think about it. When somebody you know takes something that really wasn't important to them, but because they're in a relationship with you, they make it important to them because it's important to you. What's that do for you and that person? 
Think about it. You have something that you really don't value that much, but this person you're in relationship with, it's one of their highest values. So you make it one of your highest values because it's one of theirs. What's that do to the relationship? It just, it changes the dynamic. Shared values, it just instantly draws people into closer relationship with one another. Same thing with shared experiences. Like you, you can have somebody you hardly even know them, you discover you, you have a shared experience together and it changes the relational dynamic. Like I, I remember being at this wedding that we had, I had performed a number of years back. Nice young couple were at the reception. And I don't know what I did wrong or if they just weren't thinking, but they sat my wife and I at the reception with all of the groom's aunts and their spouses, people who my wife and I had never met in our lives, all right? All the young people out there, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, when you figure out where you're going to put the preacher at the reception, put them with somebody at church who they know, all right? Don't torture them. Put them with a bunch of strangers who they don't know, all right? You know, let the meal be enjoyable for the preacher, all right? So I'm sitting there at this table with all these strangers. I got no clue who they are. It's super awkward and uncomfortable. I'm trying to make some small talk with the aunt sitting next to me. And so I say to her, hey, um, what do you do for a living? She says, oh, I'm an attorney. (sighs) No help there, right? You know, like, she's a lawyer. I'm a pastor. She works for the devil. I work for Jesus. There's no common ground, right? (laughs) Just fun for my attorney friends out there. So, 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 but then she tells me, she's like, I I practice, you know, uh, law with Wayne County Probate Court. Game changer. Game changer, because Prior to becoming a pastor, I worked as a social worker, and I spent a lot of time in Wayne County Probate Court advocating for folks that I was working with. So all of a sudden, we have have this discussion about the same judges we had to put up with and the same lawyers that we knew and the same guardianship companies that we were working with. And all of a sudden, it went from awkward to, I had a really nice dinner. Shared experience changes the relational dynamic. Again, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. To give my life as a ransom for many. You read through the biographies of Jesus' life, and you find all kinds of examples where Jesus talks about this, or Jesus lives this out. Jesus is going, hey, this is one of the highest values in my life. This is something that I'm constantly going to be doing. When we serve, we take what was important to Jesus and we make it important to us. And that shared value, it changes the relational dynamic. When we spend our lives serving others, we have shared experience with Jesus. It changes the relational dynamic. It draws us into relationship with him. It helps us to know who he is. And that kind of knowledge leads to love, which leads to obedience. So, on to the practical consideration then. That's the case. How do I serve? And where do I serve? Now, the how really is quite easy. Talked about the how already. We said that a servant is somebody who meets the needs of others and does so at their own expense with no ulterior motives. So how do I serve? Meet the needs of others. Do so at your expense with no ulterior motives. It's that simple. 
You're like, well, where do I do that? Again, it's really not too complicated. I'd say you ought to do that where God has you and with who God has you around. So you got a family? Serve them. Look for ways to meet their needs at your expense. Not because they're going to notice. Not because they're going to reciprocate. But because serving was important to Jesus, so it's going to be important to you. Or if you work or you go to school, serve your classmates. Serve your co-workers. Not, 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 not because they deserve it. Not because they're going to appreciate it. Because Jesus served like crazy and you want to have shared experience with him. Well, where, where, where can you serve? How about right here in your church? So, so, let, let me just stop for a minute. Some of you are crushing it at this. Some of you are pulling so much weight in this area. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the way that some of you serve. But if you're not serving, serve here in your church. If you're not sure, you're like, I don't know where to begin. Fill out your digital connection card. I already filled it out. Fill it out again. Let us, know, let us know you're not serving. Let us know you'd be willing to do so. Pastor James and his team, they would love to talk to you about where you could serve here at church, where you could meet the needs of others at your own expense and do so with no ulterior motives. To follow Jesus is to serve. It's to meet the needs of others. It's to bless them simply for the sake of serving and blessing them. Doing so, it causes us to take what was important to Jesus and make it important to us. It gives us an opportunity to have shared experience with the Savior. And those shared values and those shared experiences, they changed the relational dynamic. They cause us to know Jesus for who he really is. And that kind of knowledge leads to love, and that kind of love is what should drive obedience. Would you stand with me and pray, church? Father, some of us today, we're trying to follow Jesus. And the Savior and Lord who we follow, He came to serve not to be served. Father, we just pray you would give us clarity as to where it is you are calling us to serve. Vision, just to see how we can do that well. And hearts that will be willing to meet the needs of others, not because they deserve it or appreciate it or are going to notice it or are going to reciprocate it but because we want to be like Jesus. Father, if there's anybody today who's with us, whether it's in person or online, and we have not said yes to the Savior who laid down his life 
as a ransom for many. But today, we see that today we're ready. We just want to confess to you that we need a Savior. That in all kinds of ways, my life has been all about me. I'm broken. I made a mess. I can't make this right myself. I believe that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, that his life was offered up and ransomed for mine. Today, I want to put my faith in him. Today, I want to surrender all of who I am to him. I want to begin this journey where I follow him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.